Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Timory here. It's good to be back. I've been gone the last week. If only it was a vacation. I was working with an incredible nonprofit called Vox Vitae the last week, working with a large group of high school leaders and young adults, including about 20 focus missionaries as well. It was excellent to be there this summer working. We had this whole program on leadership training, really helping people to find their pro-life apologetics voice, but by strengthening them with pro-life apologetics, facts, information, strengthening, fortifying them in their faith. We had mass and adoration, confession, and rosary every day. It was an incredible program. We dug deep into everything from chastity to gender ideology and same-sex attraction and answered the questions that so many young people are asking today because they are on the front line when it comes to the crisis surrounding human life, abortion, chastity, gender, you name it. And they have incredible questions. I was so impressed and proud of these kids when they have true information, seeing how science, psychology really does confirm what the Catholic Church has been saying all along. And the church, time and time again, is so prophetic and confronting what is happening in our culture today. That's why if you are just joining us in the series, I kicked off just before my trip away a series on Pope St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. Maybe you've read a commentary on it before, or maybe have heard a lot about Theology of the Body terminology thrown around. Well, we're actually diving into the true catechetical teaching of Pope St. John Paul II, highlighting the key ideas and how relevant it is, not just to then, when this series of catechesis was given, but today and now as well, especially prophetic in light of what we are combating in this third-wave feminist sexual revolution. Everything is gray. Men and women can be men or women. There's no such thing as marriage. You shouldn't get married. You can have children on your own terms. None of this is true. And it was neat to see that, again, working with the young people this past week, especially as they're asking questions about everything from infertility and fertility, how they're seeing this come on the landscape for them for the first time, and that real question surrounding having children and the fact of reality of when people can and can't have children, the stronger likelihood. The conversation today is all surrounded and centered on that when we dive into Pope St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body, and also I'll be joined by a special special guest later on, Dr. Teresa Fernan, on the topic of gender identity, but understanding it from a philosophical and theological perspective, how when we understand who we are as human people, how without even having to tackle the gender issue, it really addresses the question of all questions today. What am I? What is my identity? What is important about myself? That is a distinctly philosophical and theological question that we will be diving into. Joining me today, I'm so excited to dive into this topic. I recently received 
a book box in the mail. It's a subscription book box from Lion and and Lamb Book Club. And to join me to talk about this book club for your kids, and my daughter has really enjoyed some of these books, especially one, is it Jessica Thornton? Jessica Thornton is here to talk to us about Lion and Lamb Book Club. We'll talk a little bit about how important reading is to children and some of the books they have available. If you sign up for Catholic books, you know, there are a lot of book clubs out there, but they aren't Catholic, and these are especially curated to help parents in engaging in a conversation about faith. And they're not all explicitly Catholic stories per se, uh, but use a lot of metaphors and really diving into parables and stories that tie into our faith. So welcome to Trending, Jessica. Hi, Timory. I'm glad to be here. I loved the book in particular. So let's talk a little bit about Lion and Lamb before I get into my favorite book in the box that came. Lion and Lamb started for parents to help, especially during these summer summer months and days, but also going into the school year as well, to help parents in forming their children in the Catholic faith. Can you tie in the connection of Catholic books with that formation of the Catholic faith and passing it on? Okay. Um I don't know if you saw Sound of Freedom. Have you seen that movie? Oh, absolutely. Yes. We had Jim Caviezel here. And at the very end, did you stay for the special message he gives at the end of the movie? Yes. And he says the most powerful, he quotes Steve Jobs. He says the most powerful person on earth is the storyteller. And that's 100% what we believe at Lion and Lamb, that um, the storyteller really does control the narrative and it's a great teaching tool. I personally know all of my history through stories and a lot of movies too. But even my own kids, when we talk about different historical eras, they want to tie it into which American Girl Doll story is that. And and that's really how these time eras are cemented in their brains through the stories they've learned that took place at those times. So I just really believe that literature is a teaching tool. And then most art, all art, is supposed to lead us to the true, the good, and the beautiful, which are just other terms for God. So really good literature, whether it's Catholic, Christian, secular, if it's speaking to what is true, what is good, is be- what is beautiful, it's going to lead us to our creator and our redeemer. Um, so yeah, so that's basically, in a nutshell, the nugget of reality that's in your line and lamb box. Facts are great, but people are moved at the end of the day by stories, and we remember stories. This is why Jesus himself taught in parables. Before we had the written Bibles in most homes today, we had stories that were handed down. It was the oral tradition of Scripture being handed down prior to being written and in most people's homes. So I love that if you combine the way Jesus taught in parables in the books. Actually, my favorite book in the book box for the summer was The Forgotten King. And this book was incredible because it's not explicitly Catholic, but you see the story of God the right. Father and Jesus Christ the Son. Can you talk a little bit about this story? Because I, I fell in love with this story and it's so beautifully packaged and uh, what I would say a very vintage and old-fashioned way, especially for someone who loves books and <laughs> to smell and feel books in my hands. Right. So The Forgotten King, first of all, when you pick up that book, it is a gorgeous edition. It has like the gold... Uh, It's not real gold leaf, but, you know, imitation sparkly gold. It's like a cloth cover. I mean, it's a hard cover, but it's cloth bound. The illustrations are those ink block illustrations, which I find extremely powerful with the contrast of light and dark or the, you know, sometimes they can do a reverse image and the silhouettes. But the Forgotten King is a parable, a parable about 
the story of redemption about God, the fall, the people forgetting about God, God, you know, the king um, sending his son to the town. And it's a beautiful parable about the creation story and the redeemer and salvation. Um, that was a really wonderful find. We got that book from Wolf Bane Press and the people at Wolf Bane Press are making some really great stuff. And they, I believe they're evangelical. They're Christian, not Catholic, but this book in particular had nothing in it that wasn't Catholic, mm-hmm. big C Catholic and little Absolutely. C Catholic. It's a phenomenal book, phenomenal theology if you're getting into it, and your kids have no idea. And that's part of what I love about this. So the book box comes with a number of resources. There are a handful of books, and there's also a great bedtime conversation card that you guys gave that gives opportunity for parents to engage with their kids on conversations and even starting to see parallels, which I think is significant, one, from the perspective of learning our faith through parables, but also from the perspective of understanding there's always a meaning behind a story. There's always more than meets the the eye and i think that's something people don't often miss even in movies today right i agree with you 100 percent. so you got the lamb box and that is the box for five to eight year olds give or take depending on reading ability and attention span um but there are some books in our lion box that's the nine to twelve or i prefer nine and up box so there's a book um in the lion box this summer about a mythical creature. So that had a lot of great discussion questions about mythical creatures and reality and things that we believe in that we can't see that are true and things that we can't see that aren't true. I just find those are really good jumping off points to start with a story and then go on to talk about maybe finer points of theology with your kids. Let's talk briefly. I know you just mentioned it, but there are two different book options. One book box is for about five to eight, and that's the lamb book box. How often is it shipped? And then what age range is the lion book club box? Um, Okay, there's three. There's a duckling box, too. That's zero to four. That's pre-readers and toddlers. These are going to be board books and maybe some wordless picture books, as well as some stories that aren't going to be very text heavy for a child who won't sit for a longer story, really driven by the illustrations. And then the lamb box that we talked about five to eight, those are for kids who have a longer attention span who can handle a more text heavy and plot driven story. Maybe some early chapter books as well for a beginning reader. And then nine to 12 is for an independent reader. These are longer chapter books. Um, with more abstract ideas. And these books are going to be 200 to 300 pages. The book box comes out four times a year, quarterly, but we chose the shipping dates loosely around the liturgical calendar. So our next box is shipping in November, and it's going to be, um, I'm sorry, our next box is shipping in August, and it's going to be a fall-themed box with gratitude, but also All Saints Day is in there. Um, the angels, the feast of guardian angels, the archangels, we, you know, can't do it a hundred percent of the time, but we try to tie in whatever is happening in that liturgical season. The fourth box is coming out in November and that's our Advent and Christmas box. Then there's a box that ships in January. That's going to focus on, um, winter. No, I'm sorry. That's going to be Lent and going into Easter. And then May is our summer box. And that's the one that you got, which we included a holy card for fathers, father's day, a sticker 
with a God Bless America theme, tie in some, you know, patriotism, being Catholic, being in America. A lot of books, in fact, all of the books in the Lion Box for summer, um, a lot of them were written by Americans or set in America, with the exception of one. And then um, there's just so many great saint feast days in the summer, too. I love it. You guys get into everything from a story of a soon-to-be, but likely canonized saint one day on the topic of Sacred Heart. So these stories are full of vibrant pictures. I have, again, specifically the box for age five to eight. And I so appreciate, Jessica, that there are so many options for kids today. But I find so often my friends will ask me, how did you find that Catholic book? How did you find that Catholic toy? And you're actually curating the content. You're picking some of the best of the best around the liturgical calendar. So the next box is available coming up in August. If people were interested in picking up one of these boxes, again, there are three age groups for ducklings, that zero to four age, or the lamb, five to eight, or nine to 12 range where should people go to sign up for their own catholic book box and what is the cost of it so they will go to catholic.store and when you go to catholic.store it takes you right to the lion and lamb landing page and there are three ways to buy your box you can buy a one-off box just one time check it out see if you love it or you could send a box to your godchild who lives across the country who's making their first communion or their confirmation or you just feel like they need a little more presence of catholic literature in their lives the one-time box is 65 dollars. you can pay quarterly you sign up for a subscription it's going to ship it's going to bill you quarterly that's 55 dollars. again you can also send a gift subscription or you can pay up front for the whole year and that's 200 dollars. So it's a little bit cheaper to pay up front for your four quarters. That's going to subscribe you for one year. And then you'll get four boxes. Arguably, it's not a bad price for these books. I mean, there are four books in front of me for the first box this summer, and two of them are really nice hardback books. So if you're kind of comparing apples for apples, you're having the content picked for you. You even have reading questions to help you in teaching your faith. And that's an important role for us as Catholics. Parents are the primary educators of their parent of their children. And so I think a lot of parents struggle with, well, what does that mean? Here's a good place to start. So if you want to learn more, again, can you mention the website one more time? That's catholic.store, correct? That's right, catholic.store, and it will take you to the Lion and Lamb subscription page, or you can just sign up for one box. Um, And you're right, it's four to five books. So this month, or this season, Duckling and Lion both got five books. It just worked out that way. We do make it a value, and there's no additional shipping charge. What you pay, you know, the prices I named, that's the fee. There's no additional shipping for that. Includes the shipping. Excellent. Thank you so much, Jessica, for joining us. That's Jessica Thornton from Line and Lamb Book Club. We post the link on social media as well as in the episode notes. You can sign up. As you said, Jessica, you can send it as a gift for your godchildren, nieces, nephews, or pick it up for your own kids. Check it out again at catholic.store to find yours today. We'll be right back here on Trending. What's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory. 
on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Welcome back to Trending. As I mentioned with you, I've been gone the last couple weeks because I, or last week, because I was with a group of incredible young people, high school and college-age students, and we were really diving into some of the toughest moral topics of our time, especially including gender ideology and same-sex attraction, which really does tie into everything from contraception to abortion. At the end of the day, it's an identity crisis. The culture is saying you're one thing, you're disconnected from family, and you have no sense of responsibility. And the Catholic Church is saying something else, such as sexuality matters because you matter, and so do the people who you are connected to. And so as we're seeing what's happening in the culture right now, I have been riveted by the fact that we try with everything from plastic reconstructive surgery, cross-sex hormones, to many other things such as legal transition to answer this identity crisis that is a so-called LGBTQ pride promoting topic for people. Yet at the end of the day, it really is a question about God. And we as Catholics have the answers to what's happening with the identity crisis today. We see science isn't answering the question with plastic reconstructive surgery that has the appearance of something, but to the actual damage that's being done to the body. I was just talking to some of the high school and college students about this. Like, really think about what it means to have top surgery or bottom surgery. A woman will never nurse a child. A person will literally have their body mutilated, torn apart, tucked, and presented in a fake way. Some people have to go to the restroom on the outside of their bodies for the rest of their lives. This is gruesome. And as we see this, the United States is actually behind on the latest psychological consensus. And when I talk about psychological consensus, I'm talking about a secular international consensus, including all over Europe, Sweden, Finland, the UK, Norway, and many other countries as well who are saying no to transitioning people through both cross-sex hormones and so-called therapeutic sex changes. So I want to talk about this from a philosophical and theological perspective, and no better person to talk to who's on the front line of this than Teresa Farnan. She is an author and a moral philosopher working with Person and Identity. Personandidentity.com is a great resource if you're trying to answer some of the crises surrounding gender today. Teresa, welcome to Trending. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so delighted to be with you today. Teresa, it's fascinating as we see what's happening with conversations surrounding the human person and a culture that tells you disconnect from your family, go no contact, uh, the body doesn't matter. There's so many influences that are really putting, I think, a damper on everything from identity to self-determination. At the end of the day, I really believe this is a Catholic question. How do you think what what's happening today is influencing our identity and our self-determination? Wow, that's a, <laughs> that's a big question. Um, so, so let's take a few steps back to the, um, just to the beginnings of the sexual revolution with contraception, and as you mentioned, abortion, which was a great lead into this question, where women especially were told that they could deny their bodies, suppress their fertility, and enjoy what was regarded as sort of male privilege when it came to human sexuality, which mm -hmm. is the ability to get, engage in sex without being pregnant. Going along with that then, um, you know, very soon people realized they needed abortion as a backup for contraception because of course people keep getting pregnant, right? 
But underlying it all is this attempt to deny the reality that sex is for babies, that human mm. sexual intercourse is given to us for the sake of the family so that we can be, we can, we can engage in sexual intercourse with one person of the opposite sex and create a family for life and then be a mother or a father, right? And one of the things that's been so striking with the abortion debate is that when a woman goes in for that first visit as they're sizing up whether or not that woman is going to keep her baby, so so to speak, like whether or not she's abortion-minded, the office staff will always refer to the baby as a fetus until they discover that the that mother is going to keep her baby and then it's a baby, right? Mm -hmm. And why do they do right. that? Because the implication is you don't have to be a mother unless you want to. Now, fast forward to now, with the the you know and we're we're skipping over many years of the sexual <laughs> revolution and everything mm -hmm. that's gone in between and the influence of postmodernism but now we're at a point where young people are told that you can not only can you deny the the reality of the fertility of your body but you can deny your body itself and you can rewrite the relationships in your life right so if you're a young woman you're dissatisfied with your body you can decide that you no longer want to be a woman. Why? Because maybe you're going through puberty or maybe people are sexually harassing you, whatever the reasons for the discomfort with their bodies. But these women are encouraged to take radical steps to destroy their bodies, destroy their fertilities, and in so doing, they're upending relationships. And the contrast is so stark because John Paul II has this beautiful essay in, that he wrote when he was a, a, a philosophy professor in Poland where he, he goes through and says, what does it mean to be a human person? And he looks at Aquinas, and Aquinas, of course, doesn't really go through personhood with respect to the human person. Um, he talks about human beings and the nature of human beings, but he doesn't specifically apply personhood. So John Paul II said, well, let's take what Aquinas is, you know, his work, and let's see where, where can we draw out personhood. And what he does is he goes to his section on the Trinity, Right? And he says, well, we're, mm -hmm. we're made in the image and likeness of God, which means we're made in the image and likeness of the Trinity. And how do we distinguish the persons of the Blessed Trinity? By their relationship with each other. And so the way to understand the person is fundamentally through relationship, right? You're born into a relationship. You're a sister. You're a brother. You've got a mother. You've got a father. Someday you might be a mother or a father, an aunt, an uncle you name it, right? So we're embedded in relationships. And then that sets the stage for how we understand everything from human sexuality to just interacting in society. And it's such a beautiful, holistic vision of human flourishing. And instead, our kids are being handed this, like, just distorted view of the person as this isolated, autonomous individual who can not only reject relationships, but in doing so, they must reject their very bodies, right? Their very mm -hmm. nature. Mm -hmm. And then they end up as this unhappy, disembodied person who is striving for happiness. But you can't be happy without your body. Your body is you. You're mm -hmm. constituted as a person, <laughs> body and soul. And we, you know, it was funny. I was talking about this with one of my kids on, uh, you know, before I, I, I had to drive him to a, a practice tonight. And so I handed him something to read. And I said, tell me what this means. And he was like, well, your body's you. And, you know, and he's talking <laughs> through all of this in a very intuitive way because intuitively everyone's known that. But now in schools, we're training kids from kindergarten on, right. from preschool on, to reject their bodies, to disassociate, and to think 
that they can have happiness just based on their desires, rejecting yes. everything that actually makes you happy. It's and I so appreciate sad. I appreciate, Dr. Farnan, that you mentioned this idea of disassociating from your body at the same time as enjoying your body, right? There's this idea of we're teaching little kids in as early as preschool and to kindergarten to uh, disassociate, right? We'll question whether or not they're male or female, everything that we're seeing from coloring book <laughs> design surrounding sexual content to even, you know, this idea of the gingerbread person. But then you also have this objectification where they're already being encouraged to engage in self-discovery and outright masturbation. And mm -hmm. it's so fascinating because you have this idea that you're just completely objectifying the body to just bodies, to material, and you're nothing more than that. Yet at the end of the day, I think so much of this crisis, Dr. Farnan, has to do with this idea of when we're talking about relationship, as you mentioned that Thomas Aquinas and Pope St. John Paul II pulled from his work, that we can understand ourselves as persons from the Trinity, which is relational. Well, I think a lot of people are rejecting family members and themselves in the midst of this identity crisis. And it starts with this very idea that they're rejecting that they even receive their life as a child, for example, as a son, that you receive mm -hmm. that life from God the Father and your parents, and that there's something that you are meant to receive in the development, the early stages of development that I think a lot of kids are also missing today as well. So mm -hmm. part of this in many respects, is add on that breakdown of the family with the divorce, you mentioned sexual abuse, rejection of puberty, because there's a lack of handing on what it means to be a boy and a man to young boys and a girl and a woman to young girls today. Yeah, and, and, and going along with that, the, the first relationship or the most fundamental relationship, um, you know, according to Pope Francis, Pope Benedict, um, one of the things that they've identified is that, um, uh, you know, at the heart of gender ideology and this idea that you can reject and disassociate yourself from your body, at the end of the day, it's a rejection of the gift of you. You know, God gives you you, body and soul, um, from the moment of conception. And so when you reject that gift, you're in a, in a really profound way. And, and for so many of these young people, it's unintentional but you're putting yourself in a position where you're rejecting something that's integral to this relationship. God made you body and soul, and He loves you. He doesn't make mistakes, right? And so that's so profoundly unsettling to our young people. It, it really, really is. And it results in this very, very like disturbing idea that you can treat your body like it's just this almost like Play-Doh that you can fashion it into right. something to reflect your inner ideas. That's what they're being told. If you look at the language in the, that's being used in these gender clinics, they will talk about wanting to align the body with your internal sense of identity. Well, what's underlying that idea? It's the, the underlying idea is that your body has, your body is not you, you are not an embodied person, body and soul, and that your body has no meaning and no purpose it just exists for you to use in a way that's going to make, you know, where you can do what you think will make you happy. And none mm -hmm. of the adults in the room are looking at these kids saying, hey, what's the real source of your pain? Why are you troubled? What, what is terrifying you about being a woman? What's going on? Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. underneath, at the end of the day, when you listen to these stories of these kids, 
there's always something, whether it's being uneasy at school, sexual harassment, trauma, some a huge number of these kids are autistic, so they're, yes. they're they have especially issues the girls. with Yep. especially the girls, but a lot of the young men too. And, mm-hmm. and we're seeing, there was an article that I read today talking about breaking down a survey where they said it's, it's occurring at younger and younger ages. So yes. we're seeing this sharp spike at the age of 11 mm-hmm. with young girls. Because that's when they're on social media. They're first getting on social media. They're being exposed. I mean, we're seeing even here in the state of California, we have two lawsuits with three different sets of young girls who started their transition under the guidance of so-called medical professionals at Kaiser Permanente hospitals and it started at about 11 and 12 years old I know who on earth thinks that's okay parents are looking for answers when their kids come to them in this crisis of identity and parents are turning justifiably so to professionals and what we're saying we need to look to theology to see that we really have come to this point where I mean St. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 1 where he talks about essentially when we turn our back on the creator the creature becomes unintelligible we can't know who and what we are and yet all of this was intentional if you're just joining me that's Dr. Teresa Farnan from Person and Identity Teresa you really have touched on this and i know a lot of people say are we really talking about marxism and communism and feminism again yet at the heart of what's happening was an intentional strategy to depersonalize the human person and erase god in the conversation of who we are and what we do with our bodies and that was all under the guise of marxism communism and ultimately feminism is just a cover for marxism and communism at the end of the day let's talk about how this ambiguity was pushed forward on the human person by these ideologies yeah well well one of the one of the defining features of ideologies like that is well marxism for one is a radically materialistic philosophy and there's a a a striking weird blend of of viewing the person just as this like person who gets to to kind of um you know, make decisions and make choices and exercise autonomy, but then this materialism with respect to the body, that it's just this raw material and it it has no meaning. There's no profound meaning in life beyond that. But the thing that's been so, I think, so damaging about the influence of Marxism and, and for, for, for the, the feminist influencers who have come through and who have been so influential in this, a lot of them are either postmodern or they're Marxist feminists, and they view everything about the person in terms of power dynamics, right? So we were talking before about that relationality that's at the heart of family dynamics, according to the church and really according to classical philosophy. And as we've all known throughout the centuries, right, that's, you know, a received part of human wisdom, which is that there is this relationship between people. Well, instead, Marxists and this this toxic strain of Marxist feminism that's come through, and that that you see especially at work um, now in 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 the feminists who are really just very weirdly like championing the rights of so-called trans women to compete in events at the expense of biological women, right? So that seems to be such a contradiction until you look at the fact that for a Marxist ideology everything is in terms of power and so you analyze the person in terms of who's oppressed who's not oppressed and at the heart of it at the heart of all of these ideologies whether it's communism whether it's marxism whether it's the consumerism that has gripped our country with the the um 
you know, even with, with corporations like Planned Parenthood who see our young people as markets where they can market their Depo-Provera and their, mm -hmm. their contraceptive, you know, contraceptive implants to these young, vulnerable young girls, at the heart of it, what they see is they see the family as getting in the way of their ability to exploit and to mold their, your children, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's why you see this aggressive attack on parental rights in states like California, because they are determined that the government now is in charge of the young people, that you as parents, you bring your children into the world, although if they get their way with reproductive technology, you know, men and women become obsolete, but for now, you bring your children into the world, and then as soon as they walk through the doors of the public school, they are the property of the state, and the state knows best, and the state gets to shape and mold them according to their own ideas of what the good is and what their purpose in life is. And it will never benefit the individual. It is never, in human history, there has never been an instance where the state exercising power and taking away children from their parents has ever done it for the, you know, in a wholesale, and I'm ta not talking about situations of abuse, but, you know, if you look at, at communist China or if you look at some of the other Marxist communist revolutions, when they take children away from their parents, it's mm -hmm. to benefit the state and it is not to the benefit right. of the individual. Well, so in they are deliberately trying yeah. to get in the way of that parent-child relationship. If you're just joining us today on Trending, I'm joined by Dr. Teresa Farnan from Person and Identity. And what you're saying reminds me so much of what we saw past last year by public vote, even though the public didn't know it. But in Vermont, Michigan and California, those three states, they actually passed amendments to the state constitution surrounding so-called reproductive rights as young as for little toddlers. And if my daughter were to continuously tell me she's a boy and if in front of the right person, that could put me in real trouble today because we would be told that I am allowing my child to develop and to go through quote the wrong puberty these are conversations mm -hmm. that people are actually having today is insane as that sounds yet we know that that's not true. I do think this is going to come to a legal head in the months and year to come because, again, we are behind the time with regard to even just basic secular psychological approaches to transgenderism. Yet, let's look at this from the Catholic perspective because I think it is so important. In Pope St. John Paul II's work, Veritatis Splendor, he talks a lot about the relevance of the human body and how we can't just look at our bodies essentially as pieces of meat or as something to be manipulated the way a computer is today, but talks about that important relationship between human freedom, yet the reality that that human freedom is placed within the particular context of the body that has a natural law that it's meant to follow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's this idea that, um, you know, underlying it. And this is, again, this is a an idea that that we as Catholics have um, we explain it in a beautiful way where we link it to God, the creator. But you see this in philosophy, too, which is this idea that every being has a nature. It's a certain kind of thing. And there are things that will help it flourish and things that will hurt it. Right. So if you if you, you know, for, if you neglect feeding your child, for example, your child is going to suffer. Why? Because your child is an embodied person and that child will suffer not only 
physically from hunger, but emotionally from the neglect of parents not feeding them. And it's because you're that unity of body and soul where where it where we it, it isn't enough. I mean, we, we saw this at, at the collapse of the Soviet Empire. Ironically, you know, we've been talking about this, but there were, um, when they first started going into some of the orphanages in places like Romania, they would have rows and yes. rows of cribs, and these children were being bottle-fed, you mm -hmm. know, just almost like an assembly line, right? right. And it was, it was horrifying. Why? Because we understand that children need to be nurtured. Children need to not just be fed physically, but but fed emotionally and fed spiritually. And that's why you see like, you know, communities like the Ukrainian Catholics, for example, which suffered so much persecution, they had that deep hunger for spiritual nourishment. Well, the insight of John Paul II is that any culture which denies at the heart of, of every culture is its anthropology, how it understands the person. And if it denies the importance of body and soul and their link together in human nature, a nature which has been given to us by a God who loves us and who created us as this magnificent, beautiful creation and destines us for eternal life with him, right? So that's the source of our dignity. That's the source of our value. And so you can't have any philosophy which either just reduces the person to mere materialism or reduces the person to just desires is gonna get it wrong in a way where it's going to end very, very badly. And his point was that when you lose sight of that unity of body and soul, you start seeing these dehumanizing things. And you know, I used to use that paragraph in Veritatis Splendor years ago, even before gender ideology, to talk about you know why contraception was wrong. Why? Because it reduces human sexuality to a pre-moral or an amoral action mm -hmm. that's only about physical good. And we saw how that ended up. You know, there are so many women who have horrible, horrifying stories from their experience with the hookup culture and the sexual mm -hmm. revolution. It was degrading, it was depersonalizing, and it was devastating, right? Like they go home, they have a liaison, they go home and they sit and they wait for someone to call, and meanwhile the guys moved on. And it's, it's dehumanizing for the men too, they lose mm -hmm. their dignity, right? But we see this again on steroids with this gender right. ideology where kids to are being extreme. told, You're to the extreme and it's so damaging for our kids right. but what we need we need to be very bold in terms of saying to people hey there's a better way our young people are hungering for this they need to know that we love them enough to say you are beautiful as you are and if someone starts articulating some of these issues about i, I don't want to be a boy i'm not a boy or i'm not a boy or i'm not a girl sit down and have a conversation. Yes. What really is going on with you? What is yeah. the source of your pain? Our young people are in, they are struggling. Mm -hmm. and, and instead what our culture is handing them is just a surgeon's knife and pharmaceuticals. Mm. And it's leaving them in a worse place. And it's just ripping families apart. So we, we cannot sit on the sidelines, but there's a way to do it where you're loving and you care for these young people, and you care for their families, and that's the answer our culture needs. And I love something you said a while back that I think summarizes so much of what you're saying is that you can't override the body. I heard you speak at a conference a couple months ago at the Catholic Psychological Association Conference, and that line just hit me between the eyes. You can't override the body, and yet that's what we're trying to do. 
We're trying to override mm-hmm. relationships. We're trying to override sexuality. We're trying to override God in our bodies. Mm-hmm. And it's not possible. And these kids, as you say, are suffering. I'm watching these stories of these children coming into adulthood who are sharing their stories of, quote, detransitioning. And Chloe Cole, Abel Garcia, they're 18, 22, 23, 25 years old, 15 years old, coming out of this transition where they were sold an absolute lie. In, mm-hmm. You mentioned consumerism. It's this idea of you can buy your happiness. You can buy what you want to look like. You know, Instagram, social media, Snapchat, all of these digital media programs for so long have said you can, you know, morph your face onto another face to see what you'd look like in a different light. Or you can reconstruct your face with these incredible editing capabilities. And at the end of the day, it's created, I think, such a sense of loss of self-appreciation and love and at the end of the day it's just breaking these children's hearts and i say children because it's children who we're playing the science experiment on at the end of the day and i think that that's what's so significant and why i love your work at person and identity can you mention for those who aren't familiar with person and identity how it can play as a resource for them in confronting the gender crisis today Yes, absolutely. Well, we um, we developed our website, or everything on our website is free, and we developed it with, um, you know, all of the people in the church who are, are sort of have different roles to play with respect to this question. So we have frequently asked questions for parents. We have informational sheets. We have resources. We have resources for medical professionals. We have resources for parishes, for dioceses, and just for people who want to who want to understand this. And what we found is that there is an incredible gaslighting, for lack of a better word, um, going on in our culture. So people are not being told the truth about yes. what's going on. So our goal is to give people the truth. So I encourage people to look at and analyze the website. Excellent. And that website is personandidentity.com. That's personandidentity.com. We're posting a link on social media. It's such an excellent resource. We've been waiting for this and we've needed it because I know there's been a lot of work to bring a Catholic response to what's happening and there are a lot of great resources compiled there. Dr. Teresa Farnan here on Trending with Timory from Person Identity. Thank you so much for joining us. Again, check out personandidentity.com. We posted a link on social media as well as in the episode notes. Coming up next, we have kicked up kicked off our Theology of the Body series, unpacking each of the catechetical talks of Pope St. John Paul II. If you're not caught up, be sure to check the podcast where we summarize it at the end of the week. I'll be right back here on Trending. It's great to be back with you. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Talk about planning ahead. Have you heard the news? Well, the news is this. July 17th to 21st, there's going to be a life-changing Eucharistic Congress in the heart of the Midwest, and we're inviting you to join us there. You can come be a part of the National Eucharistic Congress in Indianapolis next summer. You can meet your favorite show hosts, join us for the Family Rosary Across America each night on the main stage, and most importantly, we will be together with 80,000 
other Catholics and adoring Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. So let's show up for Jesus next summer in Indianapolis. Learn more and get the latest information about the Congress by signing up at relevantradio.com slash indie, relevantradio.com slash I-N-D-Y. We will post that as well on social media in the episode notes if you need it. I'm excited. I know I'm making my plans actually more than a year ahead. We are looking forward to this Congress. So stay tuned. And joining us in just a few moments here on Relevant Radio will be You Love Him from Father Simon Says. Father Simon from Father Simon Says will be hosting the Family Rosary across America tonight. So stay tuned in just a few minutes. In the meantime, we are kicking off yet again, continuing into our Theology of the Body series. And it's so much more than this whole idea of a theology of sexuality. I think that's important. A lot of people have read commentaries on it. My hope is that you will join me in unpacking this. We're summarizing these talks at the end of the week on the podcast, relevantradio.com forward slash trending or wherever you catch your podcasts. Our last talk, we ended on understanding this really important idea that the historical state of the human person is original innocence, this place of sanctifying grace where we're in complete, perfect relationship with God. So much so God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. And yet original sin came, human sinfulness and concupiscence, that is our our understanding of our tendency towards sin. But what's important when we talk about the historical state of the human person and understanding our anthropology of as human beings is that There's the redemptive dimension of the body, that the true historical state of the human person is that state of original innocence, that perfect relationship with God, and therefore those perfect relationships with with other human beings. God has the intention to redeem our bodies yet again and to draw us back up into himself, back into that original state of innocence to restore us to grace. In fact, I keep thinking about St. Paul's writing when he says in Romans chapter 8, Pope St. John Paul II quotes St. Paul when he says, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly while we wait for the redemption of our bodies. What he's talking about is that all of creation, the human person, even the earth is groaning inwardly, waiting to be redeemed yet again by the grace of Christ on earth. And so as we talk about this, this leads us into a really important point of theology with regard to the human person. And that is if we dive back into sacred scripture, reading about our human anthropology, that in Genesis chapter two, which is the second version of the creation account of the human person, we read about this progression in God creating, and we read about the creation of Adam first and then Eve. But focusing for just a little bit, we'll get to Eve a little later in the creation and that complementarity. But what's significant is the state of what theology refers to as original solitude. We read in Genesis chapter 2 that it says, It is not good that man should be alone. I want to make him a help similar to himself. In other words, Pope St. John Paul II, in his fifth of the 133 catechetical talks, points the fact that solidarity of the human person says a lot about who we are. First is human persons, that is, in that state of solitude before God, that we're not meant to be in isolation, an island, that there's more with regard to our identity that can be unpacked in understanding original solitude, which I'll get to in a moment. And two, it also emphasizes that we also have this fundamental dimension of who we are as human beings, 
that is either male or female, not one or the other that we choose arbitrarily, that God creates us either male or female. And that has a significant and important mark on our relationships, how we relate one to another, just as we were talking about with Dr. Teresa Farnan from Person and Identity. Pope St. John Paul II is emphasizing that in that loneliness that is in being alone at the dawn of creation, Adam is existentially significant in his aloneness prior to this definition of being a male or female. So what does that mean? Pope St. John Paul II says that this original state of solitude, the fact that in sacred scripture, the Holy Spirit inspired these words that it's not good that the human person should be alone, that we understand something fundamentally anthropological about who we are as human beings. And that's understood when we go to the example of Genesis chapter 2, verse 19, when we read that God formed every kind of animal of the field and all the birds of the air and brought them to Adam. Now, Adam is a representative of a single human being, not just man, it's a both and, but of all humanity. And what we see here is that God brought all the animals to Adam to see what Adam would name each animal. And we read about him and naming every animal on earth, the cattle and so forth. Pope St. John Paul II refers to this naming of the animals as a test for Adam. It's a moment for him to understand himself. Pope St. John Paul II says that here, the first man, that man gains consciousness of his own superiority, and he cannot be put on par with any other species of living being on the earth. So what does this mean? That the first person, being Adam, realizes a sense of self-consciousness, that he understands he can think. So that's that, this idea of sentience that we talk a lot about in artificial intelligence today, that he has a sense of knowledge, but he has a sense with that, a superiority over the rest of creation, of dominion. And that with that, Adam realizes that he's not on par, as Pope St. John Paul II says, with the rest of creation. Now, when we talk about the rest of creation, we're talking about what he visual, visually sees, but also what he sees in the animated animals and the continuation of different plant species. There, he realizes that there's no complement to himself. There's nothing, no one similar to who he is. And so we see here that the first human person, being Adam, is searching for his own being, his own definition, his own identity. How relevant is this to what we're seeing in the midst of the exact culture that's asking about identity and definition today? It's the same human condition today that Adam experienced, and this is why this idea of original original solitude is presented in theology is significant because it points us to understanding that the only definition and identity we will ever truly flourish in is our God-given identity created in the image and likeness of God. And so as we continue to play out this basic concept in all of theology of the body, we're starting with a baseline of saying the definition and identity of the human person is rooted in being created in the image and likeness of God with complementarity, but also with understanding that without complementarity, there's something very significant going on that we see, we understand and desire it. And from there, we see this idea of having intellect and free will. And we'll play more of this out in the days to come. 
This is Timory from Trending with Timory. It's great to be back with you. And Tuesday on Trending, I'm joined by a nun who's going to join us for an hour of Ask a Nun. She's a Herman and Nun. She specializes in addictive behaviors. And we're going to do everything from diving into how to grow in your faith, how to overcome basic things that need to be gotten rid of in terms of bad habits and outright sin. So join me Tuesday for Ask a Nun at 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.